welcome to another riveting installment of Inspire AD. Uh, my name is Max Meehan. I am one half ownership of Inspire Pro, now newly rebranded as Inspire AD after this phenomenal stretch of podcast episodes. I am seated across from Justin Bissonette, the other half of the ownership and perhaps the better half uh, of, of Inspire Pro. Uh, debatable that was a super radio entrance we're getting really good at this stuff yeah we're amazing we're getting fewer and fewer uh, (laughs) becoming professional broadcasters exactly Uh, but yeah we we actually just dropped a banner for a an event that is to be determined in terms of the date due to all the COVID stuff but we wanted to update people and let them know that we are forward thinking we just have not decided on when and of course that will probably be determined by when they decide to break out a vaccine for this bullshit now nah, brother it's it's done the the whole pandemic's over oh. like you just sit side by side and jam as many people in a little barn in a little podunk town as you want to like there's no pandemic what are you talking about oh my god <laughs> it's, it's time to move on with your lives yeah come on you see that miranda gordy bullshit <gasps> on dylan dunbar's page dylan dunbar being the um the owner of heavy metal wrestling posted about how there was an event in texas over the last weekend where there were quite a few people shoehorned into a building. You you saw photos land like like these big panoramic <laughs> shots of people just kind of like jammed in together while there was wrestling going on. And Dylan has really tried to adapt his model to what is going on in the in in the world. Yeah, and he posted about how people should be more considerate toward the people that are the life's blood of this business. And I'm not talking about the wrestlers. I mean, you got to think about them too. But the fans are the people that actually buy the tickets that, that sustain this business. And I've never been a huge fan of calling people marks. I think that's carny speak. We have to respect our fans a lot more than I think we see a lot of companies in Texas doing right now. Dylan is hellbent on making sure that Texas wrestling uh, persists, is ongoing, and healthy for everybody involved. And, of course, he posted about how he thought it was insane to see people just shoehorning people into a building. And none other than Miranda Gordy pops up on his thread and says, Well, yeah, life just goes on, fellas. I I love Terry, but, uh, you know, um, what the fuck? And and, uh, if I can speak on the, the whole Mark thing, you know, like Bill at the butcher shop doesn't have, you know, you know, John come in and get his uh his steaks for the weekend and go fuck these goddamn barbecue marks like yeah. fucking idiots no, like you don't do that like, <laughs> you don't do that you lo- love the fans yeah, like, man they are literally paying your bills especially on our level like there is such a weird disdain toward the people who sit there I you know what I think it is though and this is gonna get me some heat probably oh dear I we think, can cook the steaks with that yeah I think a lot of wrestlers are just flat out fucking stupid people <laughs> Miranda Gordy being <sighs> a prime example. But the thing is, is that I think a lot of people who are stupid posture like they're inside of something. In the business, it's it's almost like, oh, I'm behind the curtain and I know things you don't, so I must be smarter. No, yeah. you're not fucking smarter. And you should respect your fans and you shouldn't be trying to kill them. Well, it's that, it's that secret society, you know, viewpoint on things that... As a traditionalist, and I'm air quoting, um, I get wrapped up in from time to time. But 
yeah, at the end of the day, you have to kind of look at reality of things. And unfortunately, I live out in the fucking boondocks now, and it's it's scary the, how people view this damn thing. The concept to me that wrestling be guarded as this very real thing has always baffled me because I think wrestling is far less impressive when you look at it as being real. Because any idiot can fall on somebody or hit them in the face. Uh, I think that what makes wrestling truly this upper echelon art form is that it is so premeditated and so balanced in terms of how it is approached. It's, it, it, is, it is a performance art, and it does involve a lot athleticism. One of the things that I routinely say when I'm talking to people about why I think wrestlers are like fucking unicorns is that they are neither appreciated as actors nor as athletes, but they are oftentimes the best of both worlds at what they do. I just like two big guys beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, uh, there's no no finesse to it you're, at all. You're the MMA uh, guy at the table. Yeah. I uh, I personally I'm the, the troglador over here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm like fucking Plimpton over here <laughs> with my goddamn pipe, my cup of cup of tea. <laughs> this is a work rate. Blah blah blah. <laughs> um, anyway, we're coming back from Relentless, where we saw a title change in a wildly creative fashion some twists some turns the torch was passed from Mike Dell to Matthew Palmer but then in true back to the future part 2 <laughs> fashion he he Palmer the the newly minted inspire pro champion is cajoled into wrestling the dastardly Andy Dalton and because Mike Dell has taken him to the limit he just doesn't have enough in the tank to get it across the line brother and so in Andy Dalton is now our Inspire Pro champion and this is a big deal going into this show because whoever was champion going into this show it was it was really important to us I think yeah and I think we we said it last show but it bears repeating just the timing and the feel for how that crowd would react for for that title change was was a piece of piece of art and all those guys involved deserve a lot of a lot of credit for pulling it off as well as uh the creative that went behind it yeah you know you talk you talk about having empire strikes back type moments that was that was one of those for us that moment where you knew you were gonna break people's hearts but what made it so good was that it didn't make anybody angry in the wrong way. There are ways to make your fans incensed, and then there are ways of just totally fucking alienating them. And we really created a moment that I think made people go, "Motherfucker, mm-hmm. what next?" Yep. You know, because that's what you want to do. You, yeah. you know, the good guy can't always win. You know, yeah. so you have to have your ebb and flow type moments. Um, also, I guess going back to the last episode uh, or the last several events that we'd had, Biss and I had developed chips on our shoulders. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, what's funny is <laughs> we're going into the phenomenal Battle Wars event, and this was for us a defining moment. It was a huge, a huge time for us to feel validated. But I still think we were probably uh, scraping the mud off our boots and grumbling under our breasts and being real angry. When you look back at this, it's really phenomenal that this happened. But at the time, we were... I think maybe we took it for granted a little. We needed this. We did. uh, So, watching this back... And I 
uh, so before each podcast, I'll watch back whatever show we're going to we're going to talk about. And sometimes I'll skim through it. Sometimes, you know, I'll watch a little bit less of this. If I remember it, I watch this entire show back like to this day. It's uh, it's amazing. And I really feel like if this show had not happened when it happened, followed by the fun, fun, fun fest stuff that we may not be here today talking about inspire like it was the shot in the arm that we really really needed to yeah. to kind of validate a lot we, of stuff we probably would have booked another show and thrown on some <laughs> trench coats and gone columbine on the fucking <laughs> roster honestly i was figuratively I, figuratively I, you speak for your goddamn self <laughs> brother um anyway but going into this one of the things we kind of have to touch on is how this came about, and it is one yeah. of those things where we kind of have to <laughs> eat a little bit of crow. Yeah, not really. Yeah, not really, because still fuck him. Still yeah, yeah, fuck Brandon Stroud, but we, he was the connective tissue between us and Bryce Rumsburg, upon which a mighty bridge was built. Yes, a, a, a bridge that's you know I'm happy to say is is still built to this day. Um, but yes, uh, Brandon Stroud uh, knew. Ickers and new Bryce Rensberg uh, got myself in touch with Bryce and we started to uh, formulate what would be Battle Wars. Battle um, Wars being a crossover mega event featuring the stars of Inspire Pro versus the stars of, uh, of Chikara, obviously. And in my opinion, I kind of knew that we were, there was no delusion just to get this out out of the out of the out of the closet. There was no delusion that we were on the level of Chikara. Yeah. And I gotta say, um, I am really indebted to Mike Quack, uh, Quack and Bush, uh, as well as Bryce Rimsburg because they treated us as equals. There have been people who come to our town from larger promotions. And they act like we are are peanuts. They act like we're we're a fucking joke. I mean, you know, the GCW show being, in my opinion, a situation where I felt like I wish they had done something co-promotional with us. I felt like if Jakara could come uh, to our town and do something that put us over, elevated us, and helped build us, it was good for the market. It wasn't myopic in the sense that they came to town, tried to do a show in our own backyard, and then sort of threw us a bone. You yeah. know, they mainly yeah, Chik- came in and really, Chik- yeah, they, ele- they elevated us. Yeah, yeah. It, that was it. They came in to help, whereas some of the other situations since have been people coming in for their own good. Yeah. You know? Um so, yeah, so the first bit of business on this was figuring out, you know, how many people we could get down. I think we agreed on on five folks coming down and then Bryce. So the deal with Bryce was he's like, I'll, I'll coordinate. And then if you guys can swing it, uh, bring me down. But th- that guy put in so much work, we had to have him down. Um, Beyond that, he's a draw. Like, yeah. people were excited to meet Bryce. Yeah. He, I think he's one of the rare instances where you have a referee on the card that people were like, I need to meet this guy. Yeah. He, we actually were introduced at the New Orleans WrestleMania weekend. I think Stroud had introduced me to him. So, it, well, but no, I, I had worked with him one time before, too. And he recognized me, which I was shocked by. Um, so, 
we begin working on it. We have five spots. Um, we know we want the ants because the ants are the hottest act going in, in Chikara. Yeah. The colony. The, the yep. Um, and we wanted Icarus. Icarus knew, was friends with Stroud and uh, Stroud's girlfriend at the time. So Icarus was a and was the grand champion at the time. Pivotal, pivotal concept here was that we wanted to host a championship versus championship match. And of course, we had no delusion, once again, that we were going to put ourselves over in this in this matter. But there was something to be said for getting a rub uh, out of the situation where we had our champion presented as an equal against Icarus and our title versus their title. And even if... Uh, Chikara were to go over, we still looked great because it put us on the same stage. It put us on the same platform. It helped elevate us. It made us look like, you know, we, like I said, we, we weren't really on their level, but it made, it gave us a, a rub. And the fifth person at the time um, that we wanted to bring down was Ultramantis Black. So, <laughs> those of you that have seen the card will know that that did not uh, come through. So, Towards it was sort of eleventh hour, not not quite like the uh, the venue for in their blood being pulled out underneath our feet. But Ultramantis Black was not able to come down, and Bryce said, "Hey, Dasher Hatfield really wants to make this trip." And Dasher was not he he was the Young Lions Cup winner for them. He was coming up, but was not one of the the top acts yeah i would say he's kind of a mid-card guy at the time and we sort of sort of agreed to it on the basis of he really wanted to come down he really wanted to show out and sure okay you guys have done a lot of work for us if you're saying dasher's the guy to bring let's do it and man did that end up being a, a really good decision yeah we we really hit it off with that guy um phenomenal talent really loved working with him but, but yeah, this this was overall creatively for me a success, and I think it, it pulled me out of the mud uh, mentally. So we have the Chikara guys coming coming in, and now we go sort of back to New Orleans, um, where I got to see Teddy Hart <laughs> perform, <laughs> and I reached. I think I sent. Ricky Starks to the back to try to get contact information, which was not useful. <laughs> but around this time, Byron Wilcox was bringing Teddy Hart down. Wilcott. Yeah, Byron Wilcott, Big Daddy Yum Yum, was bringing Teddy down for his promotion. Um, I can't remember the name of the promotion. It's, it's not super relevant to the story. Main event? Main event, yep. Yeah. And... I think Teddy mentioned to him, hey, there's some guy in Austin that approached me in New Orleans. So Byron reached out, asked if we wanted to split Teddy. And Max was a, a big fan of Teddy's work in AAA. So we made yeah. the agreement on Teddy Hart as well. I, I absolutely absolutely need to preface yeah. why I wanted to use Teddy yeah. at this particular point in time. I think a lot of people who are quote-unquote woke wrestling fans they can talk about the decision that we made at that point in time with hindsight. And there was no hindsight at this point. Yes. And from what I knew of Teddy, there were no 
real allegations swirling around. None of that existed at this point in time. So I'm going to tell this story the best that I remember it, and you can all fucking accept it and shut the fuck up, okay? Um, the deal with Teddy was that, yeah, I was a big fan of Teddy's because at that point in time, there was a virtual bank of crazy bullshit promos on YouTube from him, like putting over the Young Bucks, and, and you know, he would get on... He would get on YouTube and cut promos on people and go... You like rag on Vince's guys and go, you guys are nothing but meth pests and I smoke the the seed that is the the the, the weed that you need to succeed. He'd like almost start freestyling <laughs> about marijuana, and and his promos were just over the top. And then of course, at that at the time that I I kind of rediscovered him, he was in uh, AAA, and I believe the faction was called uh, the Heart Foundation version. 2.0 or something like that. Something along those lines. Yeah, and it was with uh, Daniel uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, of course, and um, who's the other guy? The uh, Jack Evans. Jack Evans. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So from the heavens. Jack Evans from the heavens. Yeah. Uh, Evans, of course, was also fire on the mic, but those guys in the ring as a trio in AAA tore it apart every time I saw them, and. So I was really excited to to work with with Teddy, who is also uh, a kind of a guy who has a reputation of being a, a shooter, I believe. He's a legit. He's a legit. If you try to fight him, he'll probably kill you. Heart dungeon, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, there's a legacy there that's already built in. But from everything I knew, he was a legitimate, legitimately tough guy. You run across those not very often in professional wrestling, in my experience. So when we brought him in, there were no allegations, and I believe at the time the idea was to bring Teddy to Texas and Louisiana and have him also travel to Mexico uh, and just kind of go in a circular pattern for a string of dates. And so when we agreed to do this thing with Byron Wilcott, I had I essentially signed an agreement that said that we would uh, provide accommodations and, and pay for Teddy for three dates. So we were obligated at that point to do three gigs with Teddy and in my head I kind of <laughs> I kind of thought things would, would go a lot differently I <laughs> had not yet dealt with somebody on this level or at this at, at just, just at this depth of difficulty yeah. um, but we'll get into that later <laughs> I, I will like there were no allegations at this time no the only rep he had was being difficult to do business with there was there was the allegation that he was crazy and so my my idea was going into this that we would use teddy um in a way that i i I had it down on paper and just figured yeah fuck it that's the way it's gonna go right wrong (laughs) yeah basically the marquee match for this card for me was going to be an i think it was unsanctioned match yep that occurred after the show ended. That was the that was the gimmick. Yeah, and it was going to be Scott Summers versus Teddy Hart, two of the craziest motherfuckers in the business. And I had actually gotten permission from somebody within the Marquesa to let the to, to let us use their cherry picker, the, the automatic yep. lifting platform. We had this big spot planned out. And storyline wise, this was supposed to be where Scott's WCCW title would be legitimized and we would present him with a new <laughs> sanctioned belt. But 
the belt would go. The belt was supposed to go to either Teddy or Scott. It just depended on who won it. It was supposed yeah. to be like the legitimization of this renegade title that Scott was running with. Yeah. Yeah, and at the time, Scott, we had agreed Scott was going to go over going into the show. Yes. So <laughs> we'll get we'll get we'll get more into b- this before we dive into the show. the The cool part of this was the Chikara guys came down a day early, mm-hmm. so they came down. They came down, and we did Sixth Street, which was ACL weekend, which was complete insanity so there's I'm always the guy that ends up hosting whenever we have guys in early and a lot of times I get the well you get to go hang out with the guys so if you've ever seen get them to the Greek sometimes that's what that's like like it's not this like oh man I get to go party I do get to go party and that's kind of cool but it's also wrangling wrangling these people as late as they want to stay out right hey we got a show tomorrow let's get you back to the hotel so you can get rested blah 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 so there is there's an aspect of that this weekend was an absolute pleasure though um i hit it off with dasher hatfield right away who became like one of my favorite people in wrestling that weekend uh bryce was awesome and we hit up sixth street so that they can see sixth street we did did something with the new movement where Icarus and Dasher told stories and people acted yeah, them just out. To, just to fill you in, uh, Chris Drew was running a comedy club slash improv school that was in the heart of downtown Texas. Really warm, inviting space where alleged atrocities occurred. Gosh, yeah. Uh, we'll get into that down the road. Yep. We're not trying to bury anybody yeah. yet. Um, well, besides a few people. Yeah, but uh, we had a lot of our workers there doing improv stuff, comedy stuff, storytelling. It was a nice built-in event that our fans could go to that wasn't necessarily wrestling-oriented, but it allowed them to get to know these people who were not in our state all the time. That's another thing that's really clutch to mention, is that Chikara was predominantly a Philly company. You know, they didn't, they didn't at that point in time travel out of their jurisdiction all that much. So having them here was really phenomenal for a lot of people who did not get the chance to travel out of state to see wrestling. They got to see some of these people that they'd only seen on iPay-Per-View or DVD. And so that was really the hook at the time. This was before Wrestle Circus came in and just oversaturated everything and killed the specialness of bringing in names. You know? I, I thought we were going to wait to bury that for a while. But I'm yeah. not burying anybody. Spoiler alert. I, think, I think that's a fact, though. I, yeah, I think that, for sure. I think there, there was a point in time where our company very seldomly relied on outside names, outside talents, marquee talents. We would bring them in occasionally, and it, it was nice. It was like a little mint on the fucking yep. pillow. But when Wrestle Circus came in, they just like threw everything at the fan, and so we kind of had to begin to adapt at a yep. certain point. I also think that that model started to occur with this this show, because this is a mega show for a wrestling fan at this point in time. Yes. I'd also like to say that... Um, I like the weird stuff, of course, in wrestling. I like to do colorful comic bookish stuff. This is the traditionalist, the purist. This was really an opportunity for me to get a lot of the stuff that was really kind of goofy out there on the card because we were flying neck and neck with Chikara. It was there to show how Chikara really influenced 
me as a booker, but also just to show how colorful our company could be. And I think we even did that with how we presented the big, the big guy stuff that this yeah. likes. Yeah. And for me, Jakara was a good, a good marriage of those things. Yeah. I mean, Jakara had Eddie Kingston, who is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And one of my favorite people of all time, um, you know, Mitch Ryder was there who I had spent time with when he was in, um, in Texas. So it, it had kind of some of that Southern style stuff bled in with the ants who were two of the best wrestlers on the face of the planet at this time and still to this day. Yeah. And so we're, we're out on sixth street with the Chikara guys. If they want to see, we're walking back and I kind of, I'm taking them away from the craziness of dirty sixth. And I kind of realized, like, that's what they want to see, right? We're kind of taking it back. Away. I'm like, okay. I think it was Icarus was like, is this is this really Sixth Street? I'm like, eh, not really. Here, let's let's cut through this way. And we cut on. And the first bar we pass by, and keep in mind, it's ACL time. McLovin is in the first bar we pass by. The I don't know the actor's name, but the guy from <laughs> fucking Superbad, right? So we go in. There's a picture somewhere of him holding the fucking Chikara belt because Icarus is walking around downtown with the fucking belt. So just this crazy night. The other thing that became a tradition was I took the guys to get barbecue. And there's levels to barbecue in the city of Austin. So the first place I took them was Rudy's, which is like the base level. Like... There's uh there's definitely higher levels of Texas barbecue. You should be ashamed to admit that. Though. Oh, I am not because it was strategic because the, oh. the plan was for them to come back. And if I just take them to the best fucking barbecue and then we get in a hurry and I got to do like a Rudy's or something like that. So I start them off with Rudy's, which they are all amazed by because they don't have any other barbecue. So I knock it out of the park with Rudy's on the first trip, and now I have I have levels I can up the ante when they come okay, back. I, so, I see, I see, I still there's I see, there's I a master plan. Like I, you, like people from Austin can shit all over Rudy's, but you're one of those guys yes. that, that tells people don't don't go out there and do your whole move set. No, brother. brother. Yeah. No. <laughs> keep, gotta, keep some shit in the back pocket, man. Yeah. Okay. You want to come back here, right? What are you gonna do next time? I I don't agree. I think you lead off with your strongest foot, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna say what that is. Anyway, let's go. Uh, let's go into the car. Yep. So, opening match, we do something that is sort of a a Chikara tradition, and I was happy to get this because it's one of my favorite things that they do. This you're going to get to hear all the goofy shit I actually enjoy here. This is this, the hat trick. This is the hat trick, right? Okay. So we have Dasher, and we have Steve Reno, and. They are going to take on a mystery opponent that is going to be picked out of the hat, which is Eamon's Captain Hat. So, the first name that comes out, I want to say, is Booker T, right? And, of course, no Booker T. And the second name is Sammy Guevara, who is recently fired, and the crowd knows. Booze. Big booze. Bryce runs back. And uh, he comes back out and says, they say no fucking way. And he thought he was in trouble because he cussed, but I, I literally screamed no fucking way. So no fucking way on. And then they go back. Tadasuke. Go back. Hey, Tadasuke's here. He had come back um, from Japan for a brief visit back in America and was around. So we got to have him as a surprise. And he, and he, and he got a pop. He got a huge pop. Yeah. 
So he comes out. Oh, I missed uh, Mike Von Eric. I think got sprinkled in somewhere to a <laughs> ooh right. So yeah. uh, it's always good to bury the Von Erics in Texas whenever you can. So you've got Tadasuke, Stevo, and this is basically Stevo's first big singles match yeah. coming off the Hollywood Knives gimmick and Dasher, and they fucking kill it, man. This is a great opener. It's a three way elimination. So Dasher eliminates Tadasuke. And then that leads to, you know, the heat between Steve and Dasher. And it it really, mm-hmm. I think, in a, in, a, in a big way, was was the meteor that left a crater on the face of this company and made Steve-O, who, made Steve-O Mr. Inspire for Yep, him. yeah. Really connected with the crowd. Steve had gone out of his way to buy uh, Longhorn Hats. To, to give out to Tadasuke and and Dasher. Yeah, they were very, which, very excited about that. Which actually. makes just a really cool moment afterwards. Yeah, but this was a phenomenal opener. It 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 showed that we were leading off strong. You saw two exotic talents with one of ours, and our guy, of course, went over, but not in a fashion that seemed unrealistic. It was a phenomenal match. It was a great opener, and uh, I think... Right off the bat, we knew that we had something special here. I thought it was important too how much we touched into the Chikara mythos and and history in the first match. It felt like a Chikara match that had our guy in it, you know, which was really cool. Yeah. And after that, we had an eight-man elimination tag team match uh, with the NWA Wrestling Rev All Stars and the New Movement. Uh, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. We had here Eric Shadows, Cat Green, Matt Riot, and Tony Strong. And I've got to say something about Tony Strong. Before we move yeah, the one and only appearance of Tony Strong. Tony Strong. I've had people ask me what happened to him. Why didn't he come back? Well, I'll tell you why he didn't come back. It was because I saw him talking about how much he didn't really like gay people on, <laughs> on social media. Yeah. So once again. If you are a wrestler, keep that shit to yourself. Like, you know, believe whatever you want. But if your purpose as an entertainer is to go out there and connect with people and not say things... I mean, you don't want to be controversial in bad ways. There's good ways to be controversial. There are bad ways to be controversial. And I'm sure maybe he'll hear this and go, I never said that. And like, no, fuck you. You said something about something very disparaging about gay people. It's you know, and so that's why I never asked you to come back, even though I thought you were pretty good at what you did. But you can't have that in the, in the locker room. So moving right along, don't do that. <laughs> don't be a Miranda Gordy. <laughs> we're and, gonna coin that phrase. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, and the new movement consisted of at this point, Cherry Ramones, Delilah Dooms was there, Jigolo uh, James Johnson, uh, who who had been. Uh, who'd been indoctrinated or actually just dragged into the new movement stable against his will. Yes. He won a contract that meant that he had to be a part of it. And, of course, Keith Lee. Um, this match to me was about one spot that was yeah. was huge. Mm-hmm. I remember telling Jax this spot and him being like, oh, you know, like, you can't do that unless, like, this happens. And uh, the spot was that Keith Lee spirit bombs Cat Green all like 110 pounds of her mm-hmm. 
um, and it got the reaction I thought it would get. Oh yeah, it it was great. And of course, uh, Keith being the monster here uh, does not go over for his team, but nevertheless, we find a way to 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 make him even the way that Keith goes out here. And even the way that we in this match, new movement not going over to some surprise in retrospect, we have like all the high flyers kind of gang up on him and yeah. So the idea was he hits the spirit bomb on Cat. We eliminate Cat. Tony has already been eliminated, so we're down to just Matt Riot and Eric Shadows. And seeing Cat Green decimated by Keith Lee ignites this rage in the two light heavyweights. They proceed to hit about six top rope maneuvers on Keith Lee, double pin. And Eric Shadows uh, becomes the the victor for the NWA Rev Pro team. Yes, sir. All right. From there, we go into a match that I'm a bit bitter about. Um, Killer McKenzie, whom I love, with Ken Johnson as his manager. And the Great Depression, who was le- who was uh, led by the Red Scare, who was kind of his keeper or handler at the time. And I believe this match uh, ended by via DQ. Now, the story here was that the Great Depression had gone off to Sturgis at some point. <laughs> I, we did this as a cover R- for something. Rot Rally. Rot Rally. I, th- I, think, I think Ricky got hurt. Oh, you're right. Rot yeah. Rally. It wasn't Sturgis. But yeah. the same difference, you know? It's, it's all along. No, it is because the Rot Rally is on the way to Sturgis. So, wait, no. Is it? No, it's not. Fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> I hate, I, hate, I, I fucking hate bikers. Uh, I, I grew up in a biker family. Yeah, so That's did I. Right. That's why I fucking hate them. Uh, mine was a loving biker family. Yeah, well, then they weren't real bikers. <laughs> if they didn't have, like, feed bags of cocaine uh, and weren't, were, like, running guns, then that's not real biker shit. <clears throat> you need to have that disfigured Rocky Dennis kid via virtue of, like, drug pummeling to really <laughs> be a real biker family. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, uh, Phil, if you want to cut any of that out. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, yeah. So yeah, Rot Rally. We I, I don't really remember what happened here, but like uh, we yeah, the storyline yeah. was to cover for something. Great Depression gets into it with a bunch of bikers down on Sixth Street. Storyline wise, uh, Killer McKenzie comes back to get revenge. This sets up a uh, this sets up like a one on one with them. At this point, Depression had been made so goddamn goofy following a lot of the appearances that he'd made outside of Inspire Pro, and of course with that fart in an elevator Honky Kong match that I kind of lost I don't know I, I didn't really feel like the fans looked at him like they they did prior to him prior to him going into that weird goofy spate of stuff that he was doing but nevertheless I had hope and if we were going to put him back on track we really needed him to have a, a monster adversary in the form of say Killer McKenzie and um, of course are we did we say who Red Scare was yet? yeah Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sin Red Scare here is played by Steve Arino. Uh, some people know that. Some people do not. But yeah, there was some, we were going somewhere with, with Steve-O as Red Scare. He was under that hood for some for a very specific reason. Is there anything you want to say about this match? Nah, it, it was it was short. I think it, it was either a, a double DQ or a double count out. I think it was a double count out. Some sort of brawl to the outside. Yeah. But, it, you know, it was what it was. It got, it got you know... Killer McKenzie who had has this great, you know. I have a fondness every time I see McKenzie in his biker getup because it reminds me so much of that one man gang shape, yeah. you know. 
and I have such a tremendous affinity for that character. So it was almost like my one-man gang and Inspire for, for a bit. I wanted to do more with McKenzie, but Brent, uh, his real name is Brent, had uh, a few injuries around this point in time, which caused some, some appearance issues, obviously. Uh, he couldn't make dates because he was recovering from some stuff. Yeah. Um, he, he was also a big part of the kind of Waco area NWA scene. So it was important. We were still part of the NWA at this point. It's kind of important to have him around. Well, in that that, aspect the, the NWA Alliance at this point did open the, the door for us to bring in certain other people. And, yeah. you know, we, we looked at, we still look at Brent as a brother. Yeah. I think we always looked at Brent as a brother. And uh, the NWA Alliance really made us say it out loud, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this match was okay. It is what it is. I got depression on the card. I wanted to do something more with him here, but. It is what it, it is. What it was. Yeah. Um, and after that, we have a six-man tag team match, which we set up at the last show. Uh, we talked about the genesis of the Orphans, which consists of DG Taylor, Sky De La Cremosa, and Zach Taylor, who were largely inspired visually by the gang called the Orphans in the movie The Warriors. And of course, this gimmick was supposed to be about finding the workers that we thought were talented but did not necessarily cut the conventional shape of wrestler. We wanted to put in guys who were either heavier, not as cut, maybe thinner. So anyway, they had uh, they had interfered in, uh, I believe, Ricky Starks versus Franco D'Angelo. This is really where we go hard right with Ricky's face turn. We have Palmer, who is the sympathetic underdog who just lost the Inspire Pro title in a in the batting of an eyelash and of course Franco D'Angelo who is the comeback kid finally embracing his his faceness via Matthew Palmer's struggle because they're intrinsically tied together at this point uh, so this sets up this trios match and the one thing I think I think uh, I think the Taylor boys kind of struggled to keep up in this match a bit they weren't ready at this yeah. point yeah but that was okay because the way we set up the finish kind of kind of excuses it, I yeah. think. It doesn't excuse the non, non-readiness. non They weren't ready, but I feel like if you just looking at the match for what it is, the finish makes up for it. Yeah. Let, let's talk about Sky at this point, too. Yeah. Sky, um, Sky was brought to the table because Brandon Stroud had actually put him over following a match that he saw with ACH. And I thought Sky was a really nice guy, great to work with. We had been led to believe that his ability to work around the ring was vastly different from the last time I think either you or I had seen him. Yes. Uh, I don't believe that was the case. N- no. And great guy, great yeah. guy. I will say that I love. Yo, him. great guy, and he's really found his own today. Yeah. But at this point. There was also, there was a conflict between ACH and Jason Silver. Yeah. So, Albert was sort of playing Sky against Silver to take a jab at Silver. And this was the point where we were talking about potentially bringing Silver in and doing something with Silver. You, and, I wanted him for another order. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I wanted anybody that was not your typical pro wrestler looking type to be in this group. Yeah. So when Stroud brings up sky Albert, of course, still kind of jabbing at silver goes, Oh yeah. Don't bring in silver, bring in sky. He's gotten a ton better than him. 
I believe is what it was. Yeah. Now, in the grand scheme of things, Sky actually fits what we were doing with the orphans greatly, too. So. Yeah. But anyway, the orphans are pretty much getting trounced when uh, the Great Depression reemerges from the back with the Red Scare. And basically, the numbers game begins to add up here. The Depression comes out, the match is thrown out in a disqualification. But the idea here was I wanted to potentially give Depression a little bit more steam, and here we have the orphans as the shitty Avengers to the Great Depression's Incredible Hulk. That's what I was really going for here. We were adding some steam to both by beefing up the numbers, creating this weird faction, and it didn't quite go over later on how I wanted it to because of various things that would occur <laughs> Yes. at another event that followed this one. Anyway, I, w- I think, I think the, the Depression swerve actually actually was well received um, made sense yeah it made sense it was well received the fans were kind of surprised that you know it created uh, a heel like a straight heel in depression and a lot of people were just where are we going with this <clears throat> I also I also at this point the orphans were getting a lot of heat on the internet by people like Rudy Boy Gonzalez for wearing sneakers and jeans and shirts and that was like, <laughs> and I was just like that's the fucking gimmick stupid don't you get it like they're not showing up like in this shit and I'm just going whatever they're supposed to not look like wrestlers that's the point they're supposed to exhibit this weird gang-like tendency of just showing up and doing whatever they want Yeah. and people who show up and do whatever they want don't show up in armbands and fucking underwear they show up casually no doing what <laughs> you don't go to H-E-B yeah <laughs> yeah anyway you know what I'm saying anyway we move into the biz portion of the show, kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the Hoss Bowl. Yeah, this was the first ever Hoss Bowl, which was basically like, you know, you know, okay, like, okay, so if Inspire Pro's management team uh, were Kiss, I'd, <laughs> I'd probably be the Paul Stanley. You know how, like, Paul Stanley said, well, fuck y'all, I'm going to write a disco song, and then he wrote a disco song. This was me kind of going, well, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Biz his big, Hossy boner back here, and like we're gonna knock it out of the park. What's uh, am I Gene? Ooh, what's that make me? I guess you're Gene. I'm Gene. Sorry, you don't you don't want to be Ace. No, (laughs) who Ace wrote Beth, right? No, no one wrote Beth. Oh yeah, no, somebody wrote Beth. No, Beth was written for Rod Stewart. Oh, Beth is horrible. Yeah, and and it wound up in Peter Chris's lap. Let's not get into kids Peter Chris. It's semi relevant. Come but on, man. I'm just. I know. I know my kid. I know you do. I know you do. Don't, That's why. Yeah. Don't get in my my right. head here. Okay. All right. Uh, it's like me talking college football. <laughs> you, know, you know. You don't want to do that. You don't. I yeah. don't. Neither. Gonna win the, they don't. The, sports the people ball. listening don't want to fucking hear that shit. <laughs> anyway. Um. So anyway, yeah, we go in into this with uh, Byron Wilcott and the impressive Jake Durden, who we loved at this point in yep. times and still love him. Uh, James Claxton. James Claxton, Moonshine Mantel. This is the big, beefy yep. boy ball. So this and, is crazy. And this is for uh, Byron's NWA North American title, I want to say. Yeah. So, yeah, these guys just beat the shit out of each other. And that's, that's the whole point. It's just a big Haas ball. This is about the time Haas fight became like a saying in the wrestling sphere. Yeah. So we're kind of capitalizing on that. And, yeah, so the whole deal is they just beat... Ten shades of shit off of each other, and 
at the end, the whole thing I wanted was at the end just for these guys to go out to the bar and grab a beer. Yeah, they you know? actually get they, they yeah. kind of get together, bury their differences, plug <laughs> it out, yeah. and then go to the bar yeah. and go drink. And that was one of those things where we use the 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 uh, venue to our advantage as, a, as as kind of a set where Byron said. Man, fuck it, man. Let's go get some beers, and yeah. then they go out. Go, they go out and get some beers at the bar, and everything yeah. is fucking great. And of course, fans can go out and see the four guys in the match that they just saw drinking beers, it literally was, sitting at the bar, literally, which, which was something that you could see at our shows anyway. Sometimes, so yeah, not was, not not to this degree. Yeah, not to this degree. <laughs> to that's this for degree. sure. Um, so then, Byron was a key point. Here, here's a fun story. So, can we'll revisit this once we get to the other match? Byron's point of being on the show was that Byron was going to wrangle Teddy to make sure Teddy got to the show on time to make sure that everything went smoothly with Teddy. When we get to the Teddy match, we'll explain how Teddy showed up. I do also need to point out that at this point in time, I I don't think it was yet, but it was soon to come that Byron Wilcott began to develop issues with the NWA. Yeah, it was very close to this. Yeah, yes. he so, he did not hold that title for long. No, no. So anyway, at this point in time, I'm already well aware that there's something bad happening because Scott Summers is not in the building. <laughs> and in fact, the thing the thing that we need to express is that every show has a call time for the talent. Now, while we <laughs> arrive, we arrive at the building fairly early, like 11, 11 to noon or something like that, and we start, you know, busting out the seats. That's another thing I really, really want to drive home, okay? I'm the guy setting up the seat, typically, that your butt sits in. I yep. do it with a, a few young boys. I lay out the floor. I make sure that the ring is placed perfectly. I, I even set up the merch tables physically with, with a little bit of help. So I'm there early to set up the stage, and a lot of the talent sometimes comes in a little bit later, but not too late. But typically call time is between 3.30 and 4.30. At this point in time, once the doors open, I am panicking because Scott Summers has not shown up. I don't know where he is, and I think at some point during the show, I am on the phone and I get a call from Scott and he's telling me that he is stuck up in Dallas traffic and he had gone to a wedding the night before and I I think it was implied that he had had too good of a time. Yes. He he went to the bachelor party which was a football game. Yeah. And was trying to make it back and was apparently sick on the side of the road but was still going to try to make it. Yeah. So let's get back to Teddy's arrival at the venue too, though, because that's that's a well, fun story do, and part I, of this I just too. I got to say this. Obviously, I'd never tell Scott that I'm pissed at him to his face <laughs> because he would fucking rip my ears off and stick them up my ass. Nicely, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was pissed at Scott because he knew that this was this opportunity that would put him in front of a lot of eyes because people looked at our stuff. People were looking at matches that were occurring in our company. And this was a really good opportunity for him. Scott is a guy that I think has often been overlooked. Uh, he has he, he has this reputation for being crazy and erratic, but that's part of the gimmick. When you ever sat down with uh, Scott or Russ, as you know, as his shoot name, he's a very quiet, gentle person, and that's who he is. But 
by virtue of the character that you often see, see him play, a lot of people think that he's just this kind of like wild card. And I, I have no doubt that he also has that, that in him. I'm sure that the character is like part of him turned up to 12. But I was pissed at him because I, I kind of felt like he was spitting in our face at this point for, because we'd set up this great match with this guy. And I thought I knew that if I got these two guys in the ring together doing this crazy hardcore match, it was going to fucking go bonkers everywhere, all over the Internet. People would talk about it. Yep. But, of course... Scott is vomiting on the side of the road somewhere <laughs> because, 35. because he went to a bachelor party in Dallas the night before. And I'm just like, wow, you must not think much of this opportunity. I'm really bummed out that we, you know, went to the trouble of churning out these graphics and spending money and promoted this yeah. shit. But anyway, and of course, it, it also, this, this angle is huge. This is where we're supposed to actually launch the pure prestige title, <laughs> the title that would become the primary title in our company. This was the, the genesis of that. This belt that actually we had commissioned however long ago fucking had finally ago, yeah. fucking shown up. And we built a storyline about its lateness happening and all this shit. And anyway, going on, let's go back to the, you, you've got some Oh my that God, yes. about. So, Teddy is one of the first people to show up in the building, but not with Byron Rokong. No. So, Teddy shows up with uh, with Machiko. Let's talk about who Machiko is. Yeah, so... so people not may, may not necessarily know who oh, he is. How, how deep into the lore do we go? We have to go back to uh, the fact that she was initially trained, I believe, by Darren Childs. She was a part well, of... Just, <laughs> Go with me, motherfucker. This is for the sake of the story, okay? Goddamn. She was, quote-unquote, trained by the Trudy's manager, okay? <laughs> and and she was on the cards. She was god-awful when I used to see her. Her punches looked like cock-a-doo-doo. I never wanted to use her, but also because there was just always, like, drama swirling around her. I believe, like, at one point... I'm not going to say anything because I yeah. really like her. I think she's a sweetheart. There were things about her that really bothered me in terms of her presentation. There were things about her performance that usually typically bothered me. I feel like I feel like she never should have been romantically involved with anybody in the business if she wanted to take what she was doing very seriously. She may not appreciate me saying that, but you know what? When you have the guy that you're dating constantly advocating for you, it does. it's not a good look. Yeah. I remember going to a show uh, up in Temple. Yep. And I think this was... Scott was on the card and at that that time Scott was actually dating Machiko yes and he had saddled her with an <laughs> MMA gimmick and the idea of seeing this person who in my, in my opinion threw like one of the worst punches I'd ever seen like one of the worst work punches I've ever seen in an MMA gimmick it didn't it was something that didn't seem appetizing to me let's just say yeah but Scott was pulling for Machiko and I think at that time we were even considering doing something with her. And at that point, you know, we're like, okay, we'll do this, maybe. And then something goes wrong with Scott and Mach. Yes. And very, very close to I this. I hate going into this, but it's a part of the story. We, yeah. had, to, we had to do this yeah. once and all, right? And I'm sure that there are details that are going to get left behind, you know, between the cracks. But yeah, and that's sort of what I was going into is that. Even the the training, there were weird layers that were not what a normal person should be having going on during the training, right? So, 
she's finally gotten to where she's consistently getting training. She's at the MPX school at this point. She's out. She's out of Darren Child's influence. Yes, I believe at this point. Wait a second. Can can we talk about this? Um, did you did you see the Freddie promo ever that Darren did? Yeah, it was horrible. Okay, can you talk about the Freddie promo because no. I tell I, I tell people about. Him lording over yeah. her with a Freddy glove. I'm so I, I take this back. I didn't see it because okay. I knew what it was going to be. And I walked away. Okay. I literally, I walked away and waited for it to be over. And then when it was over, I walked back and I asked Rufus, how bad was it? And he said it was fucking horrible. And I, there was somebody in the commentary booth and I can't say their name, but their response was, that's the most embarrassing fucking thing I've ever seen in professional wrestling. And this person has seen a lot of really embarrassing shit that is well documented. Okay, so I need to I need to kind of like, you know, just I got to get my Barry Darren moments in there, yeah, too. Go ahead. But Mach, Mach was involved in the breakdown of ACW, in my opinion, because a lot of the situation and entanglement romantically between Darren and Mach and, of course, Rachel... It contributed to the disintegration of Rachel and Darren as a, a, a team, I think. Is that fair to say? Yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah. And um, after Rachel left, it was almost like they put the fucking kid in charge of the keys to the cookie cabinet. And Darren would go out and do self-aggrandizing things and things that creatively, I think, were an incredibly poor taste. And in this instance... He was sort of having a work shoot kind of thing going on with Machiko. And I don't remember the context of it, but I remember him storyline wise getting kind of dumped by Mach and then him lording over her unconscious body in the ring with a Freddy glove and saying that he was going to drive the Freddy glove into her heart like she had ripped his heart out or something like that. What was your memory of this promo? That was that was about it. Okay. So basically he went out and talked about his marital issues. Yeah. You know, they they were swingers was what it was. Yeah. And he was dating Machiko. He was married to Rachel. The the thing I was going to say about the training that made it extremely fucked up was to begin with, he wasn't, she wasn't trained by Darren. She was trained by Rachel who was married to the guy she was dating, which was not a healthy situation at no, all. Not like, at all. Not at all. So, you know, and by the way, I'm a huge nightmare. Yeah. Street Mark. I love Freddy Krueger. <sighs> Darren you, has, you never brought in the bedroom. <laughs> Darren. No, no, I didn't. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. but, 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 but Darren kind of like, this, he's he's the reason why people think horror fans are retarded. I, yeah. Pardon my language. Um, <laughs> I, I I hate using that phrase, but god damn it, the guy the guy did dumb shit like that all the time. That was just patently just just really poor. Okay, so anyway, here we go. Let's let's go down the line real yes. quick. Scott's on the side of the road barking. <laughs> Teddy shows up. In, Teddy shows up in a, in a velvet tracksuit <laughs> that smells like cat piss. Yes, and, and has glitter all over. And him. he has glitter all over himself. And I, and Machiko is with him. And re, re, just to remind you, when last I saw Machiko, she was dating Scott. So yes. who is 
on the side of the road vomiting. So Teddy walks in carrying, no, he's not carrying Mr. Money. I think, I think everybody was actually really excited about Mr. Money. Yes, I was excited. That was the whole draw. Mr. Money was uh, apparently at this point in time also the star of a reality show that they were filming up in Canada. Teddy was filming a reality <laughs> show about him training these exotic cats with his two sister wives. Yes. Okay, let that fucking sink in. His two sister wives. So he's on excursion from Canada <laughs> after filming some stuff for this show. And anyway, uh, yeah, Teddy walks in. He smells like cat piss. He's in a velvet tracksuit. He's covered in glitter. And I'm just sitting here like, it's like me- meeting Mickey Mouse. It's yeah. like surreal. It's like meeting a, car- a live cartoon character for me. And uh, I asked Teddy at some point after he arrives, like, uh, where's Mr. Money? And he goes, oh, Mr. Money is very embarrassed. He pissed all over himself. <laughs> you remember that? Yes. Yes. But anyway, Teddy, Teddy, <laughs> Teddy Hart, I meet him, and it's like it's kind of like weirdly off-putting but amazing at yeah. the same time. He is a character. Yeah. And anyway, so Scott is not at the building. Scott is not at the building, and I need to set this up, and the show is going on, and I'm freaking out, and Teddy's walking around <laughs> with a fucking cat being Teddy, yes. Teddy Hart. Um, also... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm thinking about when after what happens after this show yeah. when she takes him to Darren's restaurant. Oh my god, we gotta get to that, we gotta later. Get to that yeah. later. Okay. Anyway, dun dun dun. That's so, a teaser. Yeah. Anyway, so okay, we go back. We thrust ourselves back into the shame uh, of Battle Wars yes. with uh, with uh, Icarus and Andy Dalton. Yeah. Off. Yeah. We'll get to the the rest of the story later. So the cool thing we wanted to do here. It's champion versus champion, and it's an Inspire show. So, of course, we're going to put Andy Dalton over, right? No. We decide, because Dalton's a guy that you can beat, and he's going to get his heat back in five seconds. We also had to be realistic. This yeah. was a, you know, we knew what was up. Yeah. You don't, we, there's no fucking way it would have be, been good business to yeah. put Icar- well, Icarus under anyway. And everyone in that building has to be expecting Icarus to do the favors, right? Yeah. And even Icarus and Bryce were like, are you guys sure? Are you sure, are guys sure you want us to go over? You want to put us over? So cool as hell, right? That we were able to, to pull off this moment. So this is also um, Stroud and Hoyt are doing their deal. And um, Hoyt comes out and attacks bullies Brandon and Icarus comes to the save and Hoyt gives him a big boot. He leaves him laying and here comes Dalton to capitalize just like he had the month before. So here we go. Here's the out that Icarus isn't going to be able to beat Dalton. Icarus still makes his valiant comeback, gets the win over, over Dalton. Um, it's a great match. These two had amazing chemistry, but I thought creatively that was a really fun thing we were able to do there. Um, I want to say one thing about this match in the context of our company. One of the things that I routinely got shit for was oftentimes putting our talent over on names that we brought in. Now, here's the thing. A lot of companies, I feel, have this weird geisha-like subservience when they bring names in. They feel like they've got to throw a parade and put the guy over and blah, 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 blah. But when you bring in guys, for example, like Chris Hero, they're there to do business and they don't take it they don't take but, it to heart. It's but, it's not about it's about helping build the territory, the company, the name that they're working, and they're there to do business. It's business. Yeah, they know the deal. They know the deal. And and we've buried Darren, and he has plenty of reasons to be buried. But that was something I learned from Darren and from Rachel was 
these guys come in to put our guys over. Yeah. The, the name of the game here is to make our guys stars. So pretty consistently, we would put our guys over. I, I, I mean, I never worked with Darren, but this was still something that I thought mm-hmm. we, we should and would do uh, as often as we could. Yeah. And, but without actually making... You can't bring in somebody multiple times and have them lose multiple times. Oftentimes, yeah. if you do that, the guy loses his value. That's like logical. But the fact that Icarus went over in this match was something that was unexpected because we had such a consistent history of not just throwing our guys to the Lions. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, here's Honky Tonk Man beating a guy 20 years younger than him yeah. because he held the Intercontinental belt at some point, right? So, yeah, but, but great chemistry and... Dalton not being a winning Valiant champion fed into what Dalton was at this Absolutely. time. So it was, it was great. Yeah. he w- And people fucking hated him at this point, too. He was he was a heel oh. that you want. Yep. Die, was, die yeah. Dalton, die. People loved to hate him. Yep. Um, anyway, from here at this point, it's very apparent <laughs> that Scott is not going no, to show up not gonna make of this it. match. So do you remember how long it took to come up with the replacement idea? Yeah, so let's go it, into that. It was quick. Um, let's, Actually, let's talk about Teddy's Teddy. first comment, his first difficulty, well, right? Well, so the thing, yeah, initially, I think what he wanted to do was he wanted, when he came in, he pitched, before that we knew before we knew Scott wasn't going to show up, Yeah, Teddy was already trying to wrestle the match away from us and change it to something that would accommodate him. In fact, I believe he was limping. Yeah, he, yeah, he was limping, and then he wanted to make it a tag team match. Yeah, because yeah, brother, I just, I just don't feel like, uh, don't feel like going under today. Yeah, yeah, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy said he couldn't take a pin. He said it wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for him. He really <laughs> sold it as being this thing like, yeah, yeah, brother, I don't think that's a good idea. That's my Teddy impression. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, the match changes like several times and this is I think where I kind of shined as a creative person because this was my idea I felt like we needed to create a moment where we gave something to Scotty Santiago that guy as well as Thomas Shire whom we loved um, at the time Thomas uh, I wanted to elevate after the whole uh, Gabe Roach fiasco because I I saw tremendous upside in Shire and of course uh, we couldn't have Teddy get pinned because he didn't think it was a good idea. Yeah. So I decided that without Scott, we would make this an impromptu match for a new secondary title, the Inspire Pro Pure Prestige match. And we would put Thomas Shire over and put the belt on him. And basically, going forward from there, maybe we could loop Scott back in because yeah. we're trying to this, this like Shire and San, Santiago were supposed to start the Oni stable with Scott and they were supposed to round Rob and defend the belt sometimes. Yeah. So I thought I could still kind of recover from this, but anyway, we have Teddy in there. And of course, if Scotty gets pinned by Shire, Teddy doesn't eat the pin. So he doesn't technically lose. Now, my favorite thing about this <laughs> match. Okay. First of all, Teddy had no gear. Yeah, that's right. He wrestled yeah. in his pajama pants. He wrestled in his he wrestled in his pajama pants. It might have even still been the same tracksuit. I think it was. That yeah, smelled like cat pee. Yeah, definitely, there. definitely was. Mister Money was out there on the ring post. Yep. Mach, Machiko was his uh, was was I believe. yeah his his wrangler that he introduced to me, even though I'd known her for fucking yeah seven she, years at this and point. She valeted this match, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so what's amazing here is <laughs> it's not really amazing, but it's amazing. In the match, Teddy suddenly, I mean, his 
he's he's selling his knee, but he's clearly not hurt. He does some crazy shit here. Sells his knee. Then after the match, does a moonsault for his Uncle Owen. A fucking moonsault because it's Teddy Hart. But he has a fucked up knee. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Teddy, man. Teddy. It, you remember he made us get him ice afterwards for his, his bum knee. Whatever. What a fucking worker. That was what a, a fucking yeah. carny. Yeah. <laughs> so can we talk just real quick? Okay. So the cat is high the entire time. Yeah. So, like, you know, spoiler alert, Rufus. Um, the cat is fucking just stoned out of its mind. So as Tadasuke is waiting to come out in the opening match, the cat is just high as fuck next to the entranceway, like just chilling. And I remember him sitting there staring at it and thinking, man, I wonder if that's the weirdest fucking thing he's ever seen in a wrestling match. Like, I, I wonder if anything in Japan comes fucking close to this weird Canadian guy, it's high cat just hanging out by the entranceway. <laughs> so it's always stuck in my mind. But yeah. Oh man! But anyway, for me, this match was supposed to be the launching point of something that I thought I could really build uh, a lot of storylines around. I was really high on Shire at the time. I've never not been high on Shire. Uh, really, it's just sometimes opportunities don't pan out like you want them to. Um, we'll get into what happened with the potential Oni stable and Scott at a, at another at another date but uh, this match was it was a good entertaining match i think the other thing that really sticks out to me backstage was that Mr. B was kind of schlepping around yeah. at this point and uh, he was very emotional about not being inserted into this match now the thing that i kind of thought was that well i'm going to I want to just save you in my back pocket as a contender for this yeah. title down the line. I don't want to throw you out there right now. I don't want to complicate things. But Mr. B was really like he looked like he looked like fucking one of the little rascals got their dog shot, man. It was like uh, someone it was like someone had kicked Petey well, or something. He was like he was bummed. Remember before we knew Scott wasn't going to show up. One of our ways around was that B was going to interfere to basically set up fucking Teddy getting pinned. Yeah. Was our, our first like I was super proud of that. I was like, man, I fucking agent the shit out of this. I got an agreement. Then Scott didn't show up. Yeah. But, you know. Um Yeah. So And it made but, sense yeah. to us too. Like we we actually did have Teddy agree to take a pin in this yeah. very, very wild fashion <laughs> crazy match. But when you took away all the bells and the whistles ah, and the cherry picker you, you weren't getting it. You weren't getting it. Yeah. So that's what happened. But anyway this was not a bad match. It was a good match. It it was not it was not as sexy as what we had on paper, but you know what? You can't you beggars can't always be choosers, yeah. obviously, and and we we still had a phenomenal card even up to this point. And then of course we go into our main event, <laughs> which at, at the end of the day, like this was amazing. This was where it needed to be. Yeah. So this is the colony versus JoJo and Bravo, ACH. And ACH. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, you can. It is like watching a Swiss cuckoo clock. Yeah. Just it is just it is just like beat 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 beat. It has a rhythm. You can dance to yeah. this match. It is so goddamn tight and exciting and high flying and just it is what you. It, I think it is what fans wanted out of this. And of course, at this time, JoJo Bravo was uh, still huge over Albert. Of course, always huge over. People were stoked to see the colony. You could not get more star factor into this match. Yeah. This was perfect. 
Albert's really good at creating moments too. Yeah. And the entrance where he, he grabs somebody has a Texas flag and yeah. he grabs the Texas flag and it just makes it this like, Hey, this is Texas going to yeah. show what they fucking got. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. And then the, the match ends when Jojo, uh, picks up the victory. I forget which aunt he defeats, but he picks up the victory with the inspire special, which is a nod to the Chikara special storyline. Um, which is is really cool. Uh, Jojo had kind of come up with this move. It was sort of his idea. He minted the Jakarta yeah. special or uh, the Inspire special here. I yes, believe. yes. So um, really cool nod. You know, just this is how a co promotional show should go. Their lore is respected. Our guys are elevated. Um, and it was just a lot of fucking fun after a series of shows that we left feeling like a beaten dog. And even though there was a lot of stuff that was, it didn't come off how I wanted it to, and there was a lot of drama and stress leading up to this, it was still so crazy in, uh, at the time that it was joyful. It, even the drama was kind of weirdly joyful and colorful, and I was, like, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, I think, at one point going, yeah, this is the way pro wrestling <laughs> I thought would be this. Yeah. Is, this is fucking stupid and crazy and <laughs> wonderful and all this shit. So yeah, man, I um, I had I had a great time with this show, but even still, the sun has to set. Yes, and so comes the bleach and the mops. Yeah, <laughs> and, the buckets. and even though we had this phenomenal creative success with these amazing people. Uh, all of them were uh, thankfully ushered off to probably Kirby Lane to yeah. go eat or drink on 6th Street and, or whatever. And and four of them to Trudy's. And that's a story for we'll, next time. We'll reconvene <laughs> next week and go into exactly what happened to act the show <laughs> and also cover uh, Fun 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 Fest as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks for joining us here at Inspire Pro AD. We'll see you soon.